This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to The Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at Kettle One Botanical. I grew up in Montana, which I know I talk about a lot. And as much as I love my Montana childhood and living in LA now, I do miss some things from when I lived on the East Coast, particularly the summer vibe. I don't know if you've heard, but we don't really have seasons in Los Angeles. This summer, I'll be spending some time back East and hanging at Goop's pop-up shop in Sag Harbor. It's special for a few reasons. One is that it's outfitted with a custom Chris Earl bar cart and stocked with Kettle One Botanical. We'll be hosting a few events there throughout the summer and serving some pretty goopy cocktails. Kettle One Botanical, for the uninitiated, is vodka distilled with real botanicals and made with non-GMO grain. There's no sugar and no artificial sweeteners or flavors. I'd love to share a cocktail with you in Sag Harbor, but either way, you can order your own Kettle One Botanical at drizzly.com. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Michael Gervais is a renowned expert in high-performance psychology. He's the co-founder of Compete to Create, and he's also the host of his own podcast, Finding Mastery. And today we're talking about just that, high-performance psychology, and how Michael found himself in this profession after having a rough go at sports as a child. As he got older, he loved surfing, but had a real problem with competition. His journey eventually inspired him to explore what's behind competition and what it takes mentally to perform well as an athlete. We talk about how we're biologically wired. Some of us are just made for competition and others are better at cooperation. He reminds us that the healthiest kind of competition isn't trying to be better than others, but instead to be your best self. But I'll let him tell you more about that. 
So there's only three things that we can train as humans. We go way upstream on this. You can train your craft, you can train your body, and you can train your mind. Let's cut to my chat with Michael Gervais. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So how did you get here? Like, I know you're a psychologist, but now you're, but you're a sports psychologist. Mm-hmm. So what was that deviation? Just attraction to sports? No, it was, I would say I earned the honest stripes on this one because as a kid, I struggled. And I struggled in sport. And I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. Come to find out, it was like all the stuff above the neck. Mm. And so I found it honestly, if you will. So take us back to that. So you, you just, because I, as a child, was put into many competitive situations. Wh- which sports did you play? I was a competitive skier, a mogul skier. Mm. I rode in high school competitively, tennis, primarily in like individual sports. My parents made me do swim team. I was a mathlete. Mathlete? A mathlete. My brother-in-law would joke that if there was a bread basket on the table, my family could turn it into a competition. <laughs> but I don't think so I... So uber competitive family. Uber competitive, but I yeah. don't know why, and I, didn't, I don't know that I actually enjoy competing. But hmm. I'm just going to drop that one right there. Yeah. What were your sports? <laughs> Surfing. Action sports were majority of the time I spent. And surfing? So surfing was the main one. And... Like in a competitive setting. So that's what it was. So there's two types of surfing. There's free surfing. Right. And then there's competitive surfing. During free surfing, it was fine. Right? It was enjoyable. It was great. As soon as the competition kind of thing happened, I lost my way. Yeah. And so it was really just above the neck is where I struggled. And so I I just followed that path. Like what is it that's choking off the access for me getting free? And would it be that you would... Surf badly, you would fall, you would underperform, or did you just find the whole thing kind of miserable? Miserable. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It just wasn't free. It was super tight and tense. And did your parents want you to do it, or did you want to do it? Oh, I wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is that because it was your like tribe? Is that where you formed your identity? No, I, I loved it. I love surfing, but it was the compet- it was the nature of when people were watching. It yeah. changed for me. It was a thing that I never wanted to identify being a surfer, but I loved it. Matter of fact, I never wanted to identify being something. I, even mm-hmm. as a young kid, I had that more rebellion off access nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And so you took that failure to compete or struggle to compete the pain of it yeah like really I don't know if you've ever had that situation where yeah there's more in you (laughs) and you just can't quite access it and so that I took that pain and said well how, how do I figure this out what is that it wasn't physical it wasn't technical yeah purely mental it's interesting I feel like I ultimately bowed out of skiing I was a mogul skier and my hips started to really hurt but I, I wonder if it wasn't totally emotional because I just got to a point. I went to the, I was at the Nationals competition. I think it was in Steamboat Springs and I was 15 and the moguls were massive and my hips hurt. I was like, fuck this. I yeah. can't, I just, this isn't fun. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there's lots of reasons why mm-hmm. 
we find ways out, mm -hmm. you know, and we call them self-esteem saving mechanisms. Interesting. Yeah, we have them as adults as well. It's a story that we tell ourselves and they're slippery. They're very cunning and very convincing. The stories we'll tell ourselves to save ourselves, whether it's the injury or not, you know, right. like I'm saying, that's an example, but excuse making, pointing fingers, you know, like there's lots of ways that we tell stories about why we're okay and the condition's not okay. Now, the problem about with mm -hmm. that is that it stops us from growing. Right. But do you, so do you think we're biologically wired to compete and that it's important to put ourselves in those positions and excel? That's a great question. It's, that's a multifaceted, you know, nuanced question. And some people are heavily bi biologically wired for competition. Some are better at cooperation. Mm. The communities that we're in also shape that as well. And that's a global community I'm talking about, as well as a micro community like your family mm -hmm. or the, the team that you're on. Like how do they support or diminish the competitive spirit? There is, like, I think competition is a great thing. When we're trying to compete to be better than others is where it goes wrong. Right. So the competition within, really working to find and explore your best that's a, that, that course of self-discovery and skill building is a life quest. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we need to stand on top of somebody and celebrate their poor performance or their inability to go for it or be skilled. But it's more of a reflection of our ability to refine our craft, whatever that might be, parenting, yeah. all the way into you know athletics. But to refine our craft in such a way that we can artistically express ourselves in any environment. And that inner competition, I think, is required to go explore potential. It's interesting, too, in thinking of you not wanting to define yourself as a surfer, as a child, and how so much of competition happens when we're young. And it is so defining. I mean, I have this, this I think, because I competed at everything. I have Even reading, we would read we would compete for <laughs> Dairy Queen Sundays. The I have this visceral urge to hold my, not that he wants to, but to hold my oldest child back from competition. And I wish it were something that happened for people at an age when they were better maybe able to handle it. I think you're onto something. So if you look at research, there are pretty well understood phases for development mm -hmm. for the competitive approach to life. And if we get ahead of those biological stages or those psycho-developmental stages, we do a disservice to the brain and the social skills of the child. Mm. And so there is a time to, to support competitive drive and tactics. But early days, I don't know how old your son is, but early days, we want to support all the things like fun, having as many angles of movement as we possibly can. Mm. And so really, it's meant to be an exploratory, fun environment because as you recognize, for somebody to truly explore their own potential, it takes a life investment. It takes time. And if it's not fun, you won't spend the time on it. And if the reward is not rewarding, meaning mm -hmm. the unlocking and solving of things that were once not accessible, that's how our brain lights up, right? When we unlock something that's like, oh, that is that reward in of itself can be game-changing for people that are trying to understand mastery or potential mm -hmm. or even something substandard to that high performance. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure it's fun at a young age and that we're sporting them 
supporting them to explore. Supporting them. I like that. Yeah. So I know you work with Seahawks and primarily with professional athletes, CEOs, et cetera. When you work with athletes at that level, are I mean, clearly many of them were probably engaged with football as children, I would imagine. Like, Do you find that there is a path to the NFL or that level of performance that starts young and do, is there joy in it for them at this point or is it purely a job like what's the mental makeup of a professional athlete okay so that's it's a great question because each sport is a bit different and to become world-class at something an incredible amount of time needs to be invested in the skill development so there's only three things that we can train as humans we go way upstream on this you can train your craft mm-hmm. you can train your body and you can train your mind and that's it. So when we talk about developing and becoming a professional, a true professional at any craft in life, whether it's football or skiing or business or parenting, to be a real pro means that you take your job seriously and you understand the craft at the highest level. Mm. So that means skill, the technical aspects, the body, making sure that we have the carriage you know, to properly carry us the distance to do the thing that we want to do most in life, whatever that skill is. And then if we lack the mental skills, and this is why this time right now in our modern era is so exciting because some of the bravest men and women are raising their hand saying, no, 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 I'm not leaving the mental part to chance. Mm. I'm not, I'm not leaving that to like some taboo risk thing because I don't want to go explore it. I'm going to go figure it out to my best abilities. So it's a very exciting time for psychology right now. So they're not leaving it up to chance. Mm-hmm. So if you have great skill, your body's on point, meaning it's, it can do the thing uh, that you're asking it to do, but you lack or struggle with some confidence mm-hmm. or the ability to find a sense of calmness in intense environments or a sense of optimism. Optimism, we believe, is at the center of mental toughness. Because that framework, Hmm. the belief that something good's about to take place, that framework is essential when it's not going well. Right. When everything's working, it's easy. It's great. Stay on it. It's no problems. Anybody can stay the course there. But when it's hard and we're having our stomach punched in, so to speak, we can train a framework, a psychological framework of optimism well in advance so that when we reach those moments, and I'm not talking about naive optimism, talking a hardened optimism that I can do the difficult things, let me stay in it. Mm. All of those are trainable, completely trainable. So that's why teams don't fall apart when there are two and a half minutes left and they're down by however, I'm not literate in football, but. That, that is, yeah, that's one of the many <laughs> mental skills. Yeah, that's right. That, they're opt- that they believe that there's a way for them to pull through. And the- so you can leave it to the charismatic leaders or you can cultivate a culture, and you can train mental skills of the individuals in that culture to stay the course. And I'm not talking about like being bullheaded and just smashing your way through. I'm talking about the nimbleness required to adjust, Mm -hmm. eloquently adjust perhaps, to the unfolding, unpredictable present moment. Does everyone, so let's take a team like the Seahawks, where actually my cousin, I think is injured now, but... He was drafted by the Seahawks. He was like the most amazing story. I don't know. Do you work with all of the players or are you working with people who seem to have 
emotional or mental or... I love that you asked that question. <laughs> it's really good. It's changing. So if we went back 20 years ago, it, the, the athletes that were walking around with the psychologists were like, uh-oh, right. they're struggling. You know, the problem athlete or the mentally weak or emotionally weak athlete. And it's changing. And it's changing because these brave men and women on the global stage are saying, listen, the science is really good and I'm going to get after it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to train my mind because it's already working really well, but I don't want to leave that up to chance. It's too hard. Right. So one of the things that Coach Carroll has done, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, this was eight years ago when we first met, that he has made in his career of 40 years a great commitment to the development of the psychology of athletes. And it's been at the center of his interest for human development. And so eight years ago when we met, he's got an incredible way and he's got a practice of how to build a culture. Mm. And so he knows how to create an ecosystem where people want to do their very best and an environment, a culture that supports it. And then when he introduced me to his work and his culture, it's like, okay, you want to go the distance? Let's train the mind as well. Mm -hmm. And so it was like one plus one equals something far greater than two. And so, no, that's a long way of saying to kind of set the picture a little bit about what's happening at the Seahawks is that Coach Carroll has set the tone that the mind is an important thing to train and we're not leaving it up to chance. So let's get ahead of it. And we mm -hmm. call it front loading. So we'll front load the training so that we are best prepared for difficult environments. Interesting. We'll have to like plumb Amara's psyche later. What, what is your co your cousin's? Yeah, his name is Amara Darbo. Oh, do you know Amara? Yeah. <laughs> That's your cousin. Yes. How does that work? Well, so he's so he's very shy about his story. He's obviously much younger than I am, but he, as you know, was born in Sierra Leone and survived incredible hardship. Like ran across the country with his siblings, lost his parents, ended up in a refugee camp in Des Moines. Iowa, where my uncle lives, and he showed up at my my uncle was coaching little league baseball, and he has a son Max, who's Amara's age, and he noticed Amara like didn't have shoes that fit, etc. And Max and Amara became friends, and Danny started bringing him over and buying him clothes and gear, and he officially adopted him when he was eighteen because he and he lived with Danny since he was a young kid. I know it's an amazing, incredible, amazing story. story. Yeah. yeah, what a small world it is that we're I having know. this conversation too. <laughs> yeah, what a celebration I of know. resiliency. I was going to say of he's kindness, a poster child of that. Yeah, and and but of your family of kindness and support and creating an ecosystem for people to thrive. I mean, humans are amazing. Yeah, and we have so much inside of us, dormant mm -hmm. to many people which is one of the great tragedies for the human experience is that we have this incredible potential lying within us. But to explore that is not easy. Yeah. It is, it is difficult. And I can hear right now, you know, some of my teammates saying, Mike, why do you always talk about how difficult it is? Because that's an unattractive thing to say. Because people hear that and they go, well, I don't want to do the difficult. There's no way around it. There's mm -hmm. no shortcuts. There's no hacks. There's no secrets. There's no tips, tricks. There, there is just the work required to explore potential. And when you do that work, it is incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. And it's amazing what's available. You That's know? Right. And I think, I would imagine, too, that there must be a common quality in people who compete at high levels of enjoying the work. I'm assuming that that's, you have to have that mindset, right? Yeah. There, 
it seems like that would be the right picture to paint. Like at the tip of the arrow, they all really found their passion and love it. The truth of it is it's messier than that. There are hard days. There's difficult times. They've been at it a long time, 20 Mm -hmm. plus years. And sometimes the joy of it does get stripped away by the business of things. All that being said, we talk about playing sport. And I think it's an apt metaphor for life. Like, can we be playful in life? Mm-hmm. Can we relentlessly, uncommonly so, invest in ourselves and our loved ones, the people in our tribe or community, our team, our family, re- relentlessly invest in ourselves and them to explore potential, mm-hmm. to find our very best? Now, the only way that that happens is by doing the difficult work to be in the present moment more often. Mm. So that's the difficult work. All of the training of the mind is to live in the present moment more often because it's in the present moment. If we can stitch just a couple present moments together, we get glimpses of potential. And if we can really string them together, we can find evidence of what potential could be. Hmm. And that's where our greatest self, you know, our greatest abilities are expressed. The present moment is where high performance is expressed and wisdom is revealed. There's no way around it, but our mind and our brain are not programmed or designed or engineered to spend that much time in the present. Yeah, no, it's true. It's interesting, too, that you say that, because I always assumed, and maybe this is just what people believe culturally, that athletes are, like, entraining their minds with the future, right? Like, entraining their minds, holding the Stanley Cup, or winning the... Oh, using, like, imagery. Using imagery and... That's somehow what it's about, not the present moment, but just living the future. Well, so there's a, there's very basic mental skills. So let's zoom out one more level, right? Or zoom down one level. So the big level is there's only three things we can train, craft, mm-hmm. body, and mind. If we zoom down into the mind just a little bit, there's a couple things to explore. There are mental skills, which are very mechanical, and there's a handful of those. Let's just put a pin in that for a minute. And then there's psychological framework, which is more of an approach to life. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you make sense of events that take place, situations, and yourself in those situations and events? And so psychological framework is a little bit more esoteric, if you will. It's optimism and passion and that type of stuff, right? Resiliency. That being said, the mental skills are so mechanical, like confidence and calm and imagery and goal setting, they're super mechanical. And so imagery is one of those skills that allows us to prepare by rehearsing Mm -hmm. how we want to respond, what it might sound or feel or look like in the future so that we can get repetitions without a cost. There's no cost to it. It's using the most powerful engine in the world, our mind, for the gain that we're, the mission and the gain that we're most interested in. But it's a skill, Mm -hmm. right? It's, our minds are so easily distracted that to do imagery well requires practice. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you think about sort of the framework of, I guess like the bigger idea probably is whether it's in football or in the boardroom or at home that we're all engaged, the idea that we're all sort of engaged in becoming better in our own stage, on our own field? Yeah, everyone I know wants to live life to the fullest. They, they want to grow and be better. And we all have 
very slippery little stories we tell ourselves that hold us back from feeling the uncomfortableness or feeling pain. And so I think the, the, sh the longer answer to an eloquent question that you asked is like, yes, I, I do believe that people want to grow and be better. Mm -hmm. it, it, unfortunately, though, it's not, I don't know, it's just, it, it's not as accessible because of the invisibleness of the mind. Right. You know, that's the part that's so hard about psychology is that it's completely invisible. We know it exists just like we know gravity exists. No one's ever seen gravity, but we see the artifact of gravity. Mm -hmm. No one's ever seen the mind, but we see the artifact, which is behavior. Right. And I think, too, it, it's the corralling of the mind or the control of the mind or the forcing the mind to be present is impossible, right, for most of us. But it's that... Like I think even about skiing now, and I love to ski. I haven't, I didn't lose that joy despite competing. But I always want. I still, when I go out, I want to get better. And I don't know if that's. I have this debate with my husband. He's a snowboarder. Ugh. But I'm like, don't you want to work on your turns? Like I just want to grind on turns, turns, turns. And he's like, I just want to like have fun, chill, like calm down. But I am so obsessed with the doing that sometimes I think I forget to be, but I also think that that I'm all, I'm addicted probably in some ways to getting better. I love it. Yeah. And so your brain responds to when something snaps together, mm -hmm. right? When there's an aha moment, like we we're talking about earlier, or something unlocks or your image of what you think is possible is matched. Mm -hmm. And there's an incredible electrical and chemical exchange for your brain when that happens. So that's one of the reasons, one, one of the many reasons that you could like it. It could be other reasons like early childhood stuff where, right. you know, the being and the doing were all mapped together. And we're watching right now, we're watching the tip of the arrow best in the world change the model that many of us are working from. So many of us are working from this model that we need to do extraordinary things to be extraordinary. Mm. And th like, that's broken. I think if you can relate at all to that, that you would find that there's a fatigue that comes with it. Mm -hmm. There's an anxiousness that comes with it. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't, it's a hollowness that we can't do enough to be okay. So the best in the world are flipping that model right now. And they're saying, no, 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 I need to be, I need to be first, be more present, be more authentic, be more creative, be more grounded, be here more often and let the doing flow from that place. Yeah. Yeah. I do relate to that. I think that's why like, I still like skiing and it feels expressive uh, and like expressing that mastery or trying to get to that mastery feels really good. I think when you said it clicks or like that, that is my experience of it. Whereas I don't, I don't think I liked the performative part of it. Cool. Yeah. Right. You, you would rather spend your energy on getting better yeah. than demonstrating it to others on demand. Yes. Right. The joy is unlocking the next level, if right. you will. Yeah. So how, so when I think, when, if we think about our, our mundane lives and our children, how can you foster that? Do you think your, your life is mundane? I bet you don't. <laughs> I bet nobody really does. Right. Like it's life is like, I don't know. I think we're ripping and running and working as hard as we possibly can. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It, Okay. So, no, you're right. Yeah. Life is fascinating. It, it, it's hard too. You oh, know? Yeah. yeah. And it's fast. 
It Especially is modern times. It is fast. Yeah. No, you're right. Thank you for the correction. <laughs> All right. So when we think of our not, like when we're not doing things for a crowd, right, on demand, can you foster that desire for expressing through getting better? Like how do you foster that in kids and yourself? Like how do you tease that out? Okay. It's a, that's a great question because that, that in many respects is at the center of what most of us are searching for. Right. And so there's some very basic human needs that need to be on board first. Right. And, you know, we, we all walk on the same planet. We breathe the same air. We want the same types of things for our children. We have the same hopes and dreams for them. And there's very basic needs that we all need food and shelter and then from that is belonging and connection mm-hmm. and care. And then up from that is the ability to be artistic and express. And so how do we help people? Well, first order of business is making sure basic needs are met, mm-hmm. right? And that's an assumption that many of us forget. I'm not saying you are, but many of us forget that much of the planet is struggling to have basic needs met. Totally. We are fortunate. And, you know, there's no apology for it. Like, it's a wonderful thing that you've created and and my family and I have created as well. And the idea, like, how do we take some of the things we've learned and pass it to the next generation or the current generation? It it squarely relies on being connected. Mm. That's the next place. So what does that connection mean? First, the connection with yourself. Like having a relationship with yourself where you know that you matter. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, you need to listen and, and do all the things that help you be more connected to your being, to yourself. How do you do that? Well, you got to write some stuff. You got to be around wise men and women and talk about stuff. And then, and then you also got to listen. That's the art of meditation, the science and art of meditation. Those three are the beginning steps for getting more connected to yourself. And once you're connected there, you can connect to others. Mm-hmm. Once you're connected to yourself and others and you layer on that some sort of skill or passion that you're interested in, whatever that might be, playing the guitar, parenting, boardroom meetings, athletics, and then invest all of your essence toward the purpose that you want to have in life. Mm-hmm. That, it sounds so esoteric, but it's not more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Like that's how, that's how it works on the world stage for athletics and music, and it's no different for parenting and business. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Just a second, we're taking a quick break. There are a few things that define summer. For me, that's getting to the beach in Maine, 
eating outside, spending more time with my kids, watching fireflies, hiking, trying to slow down a bit, reading books, and mixing in novels with my usual nonfiction stack for work, a lot of earthing or walking barefoot, maybe going on a Netflix binge, catching up with friends, traveling, and making summer cocktails. If you're looking for inspiration for your next summer party, not that you need an occasion, we have a lot of fun recipes on Goop made with fan favorite Kettle One Botanical. For starters, see the Botanical Breeze and Cucumber Mint Cooler, or just grab some Fever Tree Soda and mix a Botanical Spritz. Kettle One Botanical is vodka distilled with real botanicals and made with non-GMO grain. There's no sugar and no artificial sweeteners or flavors. There are three Kettle One Botanical varietals, cucumber and mint, grapefruit and rose, and peach and orange blossom. And they all make for really fresh tasting summer cocktails. You can order Kettle One Botanical on drizzly.com to try one out yourself. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Regardless of the occasion, I'll be happier if I'm in sneakers. Weirdly, this is a lesson that took me a while to learn. Comfort is the most important factor, especially in a shoe, which is probably the main reason we like Allbirds sneakers. They are insanely comfortable and really lightweight. They have a streamlined design, come in a lot of different colors and silhouettes, and go with everything. For all the sustainability enthusiasts out there, Allbirds are made with materials like ZQ certified merino wool, FSC certified eucalyptus fibers, and carbon negative green EVA foam. For everyone else, what that means is Allbirds cares about the environment, and they make shoes that are really versatile, style-wise and otherwise. Their wool runners are great for long days on your feet, and the tree breezers are the kind of flats that you'd wear straight from work to drinks. To get your own pair of Allbirds, or a pair for your kids too, check out allbirds.com. Okay, let's hear more from Michael Gervais. It's interesting too, like that compassion and care part. We just had our, we just did, we do this summit called Incub Health and we had one in LA and Elizabeth Gilbert was there and Gwyneth interviewed her and she talked about, it was amazing, but she was talking about the maternal energy of caring of when you're in pain, of needing to be held and of feeling your feelings essentially. And that then you can have after that, after you've wailed and cried and felt your feelings then there's room for the the father energy and the coaching and the like, okay, you can do this, like get up and go and let's try, like try again and don't give up. And she was like in our culture, and I think she was right. This seemed to be really resonant because maybe a dozen people brought it back up. In our culture, it's like we go straight to the coach, like we go straight to the father energy every time we fall with that sort of admin, like get up, go, get back on the horse which is well-intentioned, but I think that you're right. It's like that whole, the whole warm, enveloping hug needs to happen before you can go back out there. There's a, there's a subtlety per culture, meaning each environment or family has a little unique texture to mm-hmm. how they operate. But the idea that I hear you talking about is like, there are at least two parts to us. There's mm-hmm. the solution part, and then there's the process part. And part of the process experience is like, being connected to the emotional part and the story that we tell ourselves and Mm -hmm. others. And having a truth about that is a massive accelerant to improvement. Mm -hmm. When we dismiss the inner processing 
you know, it limits our capacity mm-hmm. to go the distance because we're holding on. We're not quite sure if we're safe. And it's hard to know that we can go the distance if we don't have others in our community that are willing to lock arms and go the distance with us. Mm-hmm. So each culture, though, back to your point, each culture has a bit different way to do that. And so one of the things that Coach Carol and I did at the Seahawks is that we were so captivated by his intellectual property and know-how about how to build an ecosystem where people want to do their best work. Mm -hmm. And then the resource of training the mind and how when those two came together, it was a a good little story. We're heading into our first Super Bowl and we're at the training center up in Seattle and it's a normal kind of day in, in training. And we're in the hallway and he goes, Mike, can you feel it? I was like, yeah. And he was talking about the culture, the vibe, like a hundred and some alpha competitors with their noses pointed in the same direction. That's not an easy thing to do. And so we're in the right direction. We're all vibing. It's a great energy. People are working hard and it's crystal clear what the mission is and everyone's on board with it. And so he says, do you think anyone outside of sport would be interested in what we're doing? Hmm. And it was like a half beat goes by and I'm processing it. And he says, let's just write it down. <laughs> and so it was almost like a back of a napkin. Let's write down his 40 years of processes and my 20 and what we were doing together. And we wrote it down on the back of a napkin. And that's essentially where we came up with this business that we created for what we think is a human need. To understand how to be more connected to oneself, to train your mind, to do your most amazing work, to flourish in life. Mm-hmm. And so that's... It's cultural specific though. So what works for one culture, it can't just snap into another culture. The work has to first form, we think, from a self-discovery process. Yeah. Who are you? Totally. What are you doing with this time on earth? And what skills do you need? Mental skills first. What skills do you, because that's our point of view, what skills do you need to be able to do that for the long haul? So that self-discovery, because I think that's where so many of us stumble and that I think goes back to like some of the childhood training that can come from like, you will play soccer, right? Or you will, this is who you will be. You play basketball. And then I think, I don't know. It's like maybe if that line is severed or lost and you find, particularly if you're physically good at something and you're getting a claim for being a basketball player, right? Like how do you, how do you repair that? How do you reparent that? It's really good because so there's this thing called identity foreclosure. Mm. When you're extraordinarily skilled at something at a young age, what we're supposed to do at a young age is we are supposed to figure out who we are. We're supposed to try on rock and roll, punk rock. You know, who are we? You know, try on as many different genres as we can to figure that out. And when we're an exceptionally skilled at one area, we foreclose on those other domains, mm. those other exploratory um, areas. And that's all fine because we've got this model that we need to, you know, do our 10,000 hours, which really, when you look at the original research, it's 20,000 minimum. Mm, and so I know it's a problem, isn't it? So we have this model that we need to start early and chip in. Well, what happens when it doesn't work? We foreclosed on our identity. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we go, go try to do the thing that matters most to us, we tighten up because the same parts of our brain that are responsible for survival light up. Because it is literally the survival of our identity at that Mm. point. That's why public speaking is so hard. Because we think that we only matter based on what other people think of us. Right. And so that's called, we call that FOPO, fear of people's opinions. It's not FOMO, it's not YOLO, but FOPO. I think it's the greatest fear for modern humans right now. 
The greatest threat is what other people think of us. So how do we reparent? Well, one, help our children not solely identify with just one thing, even when they're extraordinary. Mm-hmm. The, the second part of that is to help them understand who they are, not be defined by what they do. Yeah. And that's there's great science that will support that, right? And so we want to reinforce to our young children effort because it's completely under their control. We want to reinforce their approach to it, you know, their choices that they make, as opposed to just rewarding, nice job getting an A, nice job getting the goal. And so when we're talking about parenting, we want to reinforce the things that are 100% under their control and just stay in that lane as long as we possibly can. And that's one of the deep mechanisms for flourishing. I've been fortunate enough to, you know, have conversations as, as you and I had talked about earlier with over 200 people on the Finding Mastery podcast where they're the most extraordinary thinkers and doers in the world. This, what we're talking about right now, is a real struggle for some of them mm-hmm. where they're so over-involved in just one thing. We call that the dark side, the dark side of pursuing potential. Yeah, I would imagine it's all you've got, right? I'm sure for many professional athletes, it's, it is an overinvestment in something that isn't always in your control. That's exactly it. And when that happens, so the, the person who is healthy and knows that the consequences that could happen, because our mind can see through, you know, like what could be, a healthy person would say, oh my God, I'm not totally in control of this. So there's a great chance that that could happen. And we tighten up. Mm-hmm. And when we tighten up, we choke off access to the skills that we've relentlessly trained to be able to express. And therein lies the problem with an unconditioned mind, which is, you know, it's, it's what I struggled with as a kid. So in, in creating resilience or creating the ability to like get up and try again after you've been mothered by the mother energy, is it, is it when you feel like people really understand the why that they're doing things, that they find that resilience? So I have a little bit different take on it. So what I would suggest instead of like motherly, fatherly, mm-hmm. is the way I think about it is authentic connection. So I don't see it like in across the genders in that way, mm-hmm. but this is agnostic to gender. And the way I would say it is like have a real connection with somebody about who they are and what their purpose is, what they want to do in their life. Get crystal clear with the fabric of what that is so that both people nod their heads and go, yeah. And it's exciting and it's electric and it's like that. Yes. Then if you're in, let's call it the parent role or the coach role or the boss role, that you would say, okay, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to do everything I can to hold that image in mind. And when you're struggling, I'm going to still hold that image in mind that we're setting out to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's a standard. Mm. But I'm not going to compromise that I get you and I understand you. And I'm going to use language to let you know, body language and verbal language, that I see the struggle that you're in and I'm going to grin. And I'm, Because you and I both know that this struggle is part of the process. It's part of the equation. And resiliency, by definition, requires going through difficult shit. There's no way that you can become a resilient, flexible, dynamic, fluent human without going through difficult times. Mm-hmm. So let's just get ahead of it. Let's say, let's organize our life. This is what athletes do really well. Let's organize our daily lives to go find the difficult choke points. Mm-hmm. Let's get great feedback loops to find out where we failed, where we made mistakes so we can get better. And that is part of the ecosystem that allows people to 
progressively excel in life mm. is to organize feedback loops and activities that find weaknesses, that find where we don't flourish so we can get better and also celebrate the times when we do really well. That's all part of like the, the growth arc. Yeah. If you will. That's so interesting. I never thought about it like that. I think we so, we typically like you sort of shrink from wanting to know where you're messing up, you know, at work or otherwise, like it's so hard to get that feedback, but I guess in sports it's clear, right? It's super clear. So yeah. In business, this is where we get screwed up in business. Like Let's say the email that you sent this morning. Do you know if it was world-class or not? Right. Like when I send an email, I do my very best, but I don't have any feedback. <laughs> I don't know if it was great or not. Where if you have people in your life that can help you with that, that's what a coach is, mm -hmm. right? And I get nervous around this concept of life coaching because the mind is so complicated. It's invisible and people are so equally different that the amount of training required for, for somebody to get in there and work with the mind, I think has to be very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So I say that with some reservation, but also like a nod to people that have spent their life to understand how the mind works. Mm -hmm. So how can you create these relationships in your mind if you don't play for the Seahawks and have access to someone like you? But can is it with a coworker? Can you sort of articulate what it is that you're trying, can you tease it out? Like, is there a framework for doing this in your own life? Yes. Right. And so with an asterisk. Okay. Okay. Not everybody is qualified or skilled enough to be a mentor right. or to be a wise man or woman counsel or to be a coach. Mm -hmm. So it is finding those people that have invested deeply in their inner experience where they're flourishing and naturally find your way around those types of people. So who are they in your local meetings? Like who are they in your neighborhood? Who are they in regionally? But be around that as much as you possibly can. That's no different than if you wanted to be better at parenting, you're going to go to the books or the courses or the communities where that's a deep, rich value and skill. Same with, you know, sport, mm -hmm. same with business. Right. Yeah. So it is finding the individuals that have a skill or a knack somehow they get you and they can see you. Right. I guess that goes to like going back to sports. It's when you're playing with better people, they elevate your game, right? That's exactly right. You want to get around those communities where people support, then challenge. Right. And the support part is getting you. And the challenge part is holding you to the standard you agreed to go on, even when it's hard. Yeah. This sounds complicated, but it's really not that hard. When you train and condition your mind, it's a massive accelerant to being grounded and being present so that you can be that person for others. So my, my suggestion is first invest on your own life best, right? Yeah. Condition and train your mind to know who you are and have the skills to be about it in any environment. That's not complicated. That's, so that's essentially what Coach and I did is that we formally put that into a process to make that available for folks. And we're, we're brand new at it. We're just a couple years into it. We're super excited. We've done... Over 40,000 humans at Microsoft. Cool. They've invested over 320,000 human hours to train their mind. And so, you know, that, that's the part that I think I'm so excited about this current time that we're in and the questions that you're asking about people flourishing. And do you think that you can, if you learn it in one instance, so maybe sports because of the feedback loop is the easiest. So as adults, like if I go to start taking tennis lessons again, 
which I am inclined to do. That's it. Yeah. Is that like a good way? Does it? Do you find that that then translates to the other parts of your life as mm-hmm. you start to improve at one thing? Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about the mind is that we take it everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. And so if you start investing in some skill that you want to get better at, there's three things to invest in, craft, body, and mind. And so if you can figure out, okay, what are the mental skills I need? It's probably going to be focus. It's kind of going to be a, the self-talk. It's going to be your approach to mistake making. And getting those three things right, you can translate those into other parts of your life, parenting, business, and you know, work those same things in all facets of your life. So in that moment, I know we're out of time, but like in the moment, let's we'll go to tennis. So like when you are like, I'm going to smash this ball, is that the, and, but you seize, is that because your mind is involved? Paralysis by analysis. Paralysis yeah. by analysis. Yeah. Okay. If you're overthinking. Yeah. You know, so the most elementary, like to be super mechanical yeah. in that answer is that in that moment, your job is to have the right type of focus, which is not too tightly wound on just the ball, but it's a, a soft enough and intense enough focus to just see the ball and then hit the ball. That's kind of it in that moment. So if we're thinking, oh, it's coming fast, we go mind blind. If mm-hmm. we go, oh, she put it to my backhand, I got, I'm a step late, or my hip hurts, or what's going to happen if we're a half second late or half a fraction of a second late. So it's really about conditioning and training your mind to be completely present with the task at hand, which we can front load. We don't have to be on the tennis court to do that. That's where mindfulness is a really deep skill. And in this conversation, I'm watching you as it's unfolding and you've got incredible focus. (laughs) Like your eye contact is in it. You're, You're like, you're in this present moment. And so I would imagine conversations for you are a way that you're practicing being present. Yes, that's fair. Well, thank you for coming. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to my chat with Michael Gervais. You can learn more about him at findingmastery.net. That's M-A-S-T-E-R-Y. And make sure to subscribe to his podcast, Finding Mastery. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend who might need to listen. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back this Thursday for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast for more.